0: encourage you to do that. Today's passage is from Jeremiah 18, and I entitled this passage, or this message, The Potter and the Clay. Thank you again, praise team, for leading our time of uh, worship in songs. Uh, That song basically captures um, this passage, and I'll get to share from this passage uh, and preach from this. So when we come to Jeremiah 18, which we'll read soon, God gives an object lesson for Jeremiah and through Jeremiah for us. So let's first read together Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 4. And if you don't mind, please stand for this part of reading God's word together. And let's just read the first four verses together. Let's read together Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 4. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord... Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I want you to hold this picture or vision that Jeremiah sees in the potter's house. Um, There are at least three object lessons from this passage or this picture. So first lesson is that God is the potter who has full control and intimate care for The clay. God is the potter who has full control and intimate care for the clay. Look at verse 5 to 6. So, after this vision that Jeremiah sees, God explains the vision. God has a message to Jeremiah and through Jeremiah to God's people then and us today. So, Jeremiah 18. 5, 6, verses 5, 6 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is now God's interpretation or message from this picture or vision from the potter's house. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The key phrases that I want to highlight in those two verses is in the potter's hand and in my hand that are underlined. The potter's hand shows that the potter has full control. Clay does not become... Whatever the clay wants to become, well, at least it shouldn't be happening. God, the Potter, has the clay in His hand, and um, theologians use the word sovereignty. Can you can you uh, say sovereignty with me? Sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty of God. God rules. I mean, we sang a song this morning as a king. God rules over the nations. God rules over people, different people groups. God even rules over weathers and everything that he has created. Everything. Nothing's outside of God's control. But not only that, I mean, the theological language of sovereignty of God, and that's a true description of who God is and God's power and authority, But if you imagine a potter working with the clay, making something, um, the potter's hand signifies potter's personal involvement and intimate care for the clay as he's making. So it's not just that God has a full control over the clay, God has a tender care for his people. It's God's loving hand. It's God's intimate hand. Shaping, molding, remaking, so that the clay will be designed and made to be beautiful and useful. So it's not just the sovereignty of God, but caring sovereignty of God. Can we say caring sovereignty? Caring sovereignty... Of God. It's a loving, tender, caring sovereignty of God. And that very hand, as we sang, ultimately is a scarred hand that gets nailed on the cross. Jesus, our Maker, goes to the cross. It's a hand of a care and hand of love. And it's good to be held by God's hands. We are held in God's hands. So, now to apply this to make not only make sense of this, but what does that mean for us? How does it apply to our lives? Many of us who grew up at church learn this um, idea or truth um, and be encouraged to cling to this assurance of salvation. If you believe in Jesus, if you have repented, and if you have believed and trusted Jesus, then you should be assured of your salvation. And many of you, many of you may hold that assurance. But what I have observed over the years is, a lot of us have assurance of salvation, but not assurance of that God will be with us when we actually live for God and take risks for God. So there's, there's, there's a discrepancy. The assurance that God is sovereign and God cares and God will carry us through should not only give us this assurance of salvation that even if I die today, I will be with God forever. The present grace should also apply. And say, because I'm living today, I will, and because I'm held by God's hand, I will actually take risks for God. Recently, I received a note from one of our missionary partners that he's fleeing. He's under persecution. His families are under threat. And that's the reality of fellow brothers and sisters in many countries. Because... they are are taking their faith seriously. They they not only have assurance of salvation, they are willing to die for their faith. And it's so refreshing and so challenging for me, for us in the West, who tends to value security and safety and comfort and convenience so much. Alan Hirsch, he's a missiologist from Australia, now in the U.S., says churches in the West are obsessed, obsessed with safety and security, comfort and convenience. That's the middle class value. And it's killing the church. Church in the West has more of a country club vibe than striving to pursue God's kingdom by taking risks and questing for his kingdom.
1: Imagine a gymnast who goes to a balance beam. And he's scared that he may fall, that he
0: doesn't necessarily climb down, but he hugs the balance beam, and from one end of the balance beam to the end, he's just doing this. And then at the end, he goes, ta da! Uh, That's an analogy that I think Francis Chan used to describe a lot of Western, and we are North American, Canadian Christians who have been so enculturated by this, again, the value of safety and security. Again, we're not saying that we should be reckless thoughtless, planless. We need to train ourselves to flip and turn on that balance beam. But the balance beam is supposed to be something that, to, that is to be enjoyed by actually walking at least, turning, flipping, and then you can do the finish. God, this is how I live my life. And some of us may have fallen a number of times, but then you get back up. Knowing that there is a coach, there is someone there to hold you when you fall. You you may get injured here and there, but God says, no, no, I hold you. If we are to have any sense of security or safety, we want to have God's security and God's caring safety not apart from him but in him and with him and rest in his sovereign or God's caring sovereignty so if we really do believe that God is a potter who is in full control not only that tender care for his clay his people then we can actually live boldly and courageously this is a word of encouragement for those of us who are timid we believe in Jesus, now we have to be stretched in our faith to to know God and become like bold as a lion. Now, that's the first lesson. But it's really the second lesson that God wants to emphasize, I believe, from this passage because it takes the most, um, most of the explanation of what Jeremiah sees. So second lesson is this. God is the potter who works out his plan based on the response of the clay. It is interesting how, uh, if you look at the next verses, how the clay responds actually matters. So let's read verses 7 to 10. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up, break down, destroy it, And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. So what we see in these verses is that God changes his plan for the clay according to how the clay responds, or God changes his plan according to how we respond to his word. Yes, God's sovereignty God has full control. But what we see in this passage in Jeremiah 18 is that human response matters so much that while the potter has the power to do what he chooses to do for the clay or with the clay, the clay has the power to cause the potter to change his plan. Let me repeat that again. The potter has the power to do what he chooses to do with the clay, yes. But it's also true that the clay has the power to cause, no, the clay has the power to cause the potter to change his plane. Basically, within God's sovereignty, we also see Human responsibility. We have
1: responsibility. Ability to respond. And somehow they
0: work together. So some, some theologians call this God's sovereignty is not, just, it's not only tender, caring sovereignty, it's responsive sovereignty. It's a combination of God's sovereign will and responsibility of human beings. In other words, God's sovereignty is practiced relationally. God works with you and I in relationship. There's a relational dynamic. God is not a mechanical God, a watchmaker God, and let it just kind of run its course and stands aloof. No, he's intimately involved in how we respond to his word Matters how he actually maps out and implements and executes his plans. So in this passage, we see that even though God intends to bring about judgment and punishment because his people are keep rebelling against him, living in sin, but if they repent, if we repent, there's a chance that God actually doesn't bring about judgment. On the other hand, even though God intends to do good for his people, if they or if we disobey him, then we forfeit God's blessing, God's promised blessing. I want to highlight the word relent in the passage. The King James Version of the Old English actually translates this as repent. Repent. Actually, that word in the original language carries this emotion. It's an emotional language. So in other passages where the word is used, the word relent that's translated in, in this passage is translated as feel sorry, groan, lament, grieve, or to comfort. And when we read this passage, we need to feel God's emotion when God sees his children his people obeying him with joy and willingness it actually delights God if God's people however continues to rebel against him God grieves again it's a relationship God has emotion. We feel so much emotion in especially prophetic books. That's why, for those of us who have children, that's what we experience in our parenting context. For those, those of you who are not married, in any relationship, how the other person responds to you matters in your relationship with that person. So in the original context, God has been keeping, Kept warning through his prophets to turn to him, turn back to him, and he's warning them if you keep rebelling against my word, there will be consequences. You will
1: be kicked out of the promised land. Change your ways. God does that through his
0: prophets because he loves them. He cares for them. He wants to change the course of this nation's life together because they're heading towards the doom. And God wants to change the course. So in in verse 11, this is what God says. Now, therefore, say to the men and women of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his or her evil way. Amend your ways. Change your life. Change your deeds. I mean, we have to feel the emotion of God when we hear this message. And we... Jeremiah is known as a weeping prophet. Jeremiah weeps. And he's weeping as he preaches this message to God's people, reveals the heart of God's broken heart for his people. Now, the sad reality is that when God's people then hear this message of warning out of God's love that
1: comes, This is how they respond in verse 12. But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will every
0: one act, not according to God's ways, but according
1: to the stubbornness of his or her evil heart. They're saying, Nah, what's the point? I don't care. We don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm just going
0: to do what I've been always doing. Basically, Clay is
1: telling the potter, I don't want to be shaped by you. I want to do what I want to do. I want... Freedom! I mean, if you, th- if you think about it, I mean, just, just think. The potter and the clay, and the clay is crying out, no, 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 no. I refuse to be shaped by you. I, I want to have my way.
0: I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's exactly what's happening here and that is a story of people us living in rebellion against God we want our plan not your plan i will act according to the stubbornness of my own heart they refuse to accept god's word it's um It happens in some families, especially when children go through teenage years, the rebellious age, challenging authority. They want to do what they want to do in the stubbornness of their heart. But I want to explore a little bit about this stubbornness of their heart and their choice a little further. Because when we look at the book of Jeremiah, there are actually causes that allow this stubbornness of the heart to continue. And the two are false security and false prophets who strengthen the false security. So two things I see, we see in the book of Jeremiah that strengthens the stubbornness of their heart is... False security and false prophets who strengthen their false security. So false security. Look at Jeremiah 18.18. 18. If you read on, God is baffled by their response. How could they do that? This is, this is nonsense. How could clay cry out, I want freedom from the potter? It doesn't make sense. It's unnatural. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. But then this is what they say in verse 18. And they said, come, let us make a plan, plot against Jeremiah, the true prophet, who's warning them. He's God's true mouthpiece. But then, what's interesting is what follows that. They say, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word
1: from the prophet. That's interesting. Now, they don't want to
0: hear what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah, your message is not uplifting. It's almost depressing. You call us to repent, or there'll be punishment. We don't want to hear that. Too much, too much negative energy from you. The there are prophets and priests and wise men and women who are giving them good words. Of course, we need good words, word of affirmation, word of comfort. We're not against that, per se. But the problem is they're giving false security. It's interesting how Israelites, God's people, are not leaving religion per se. They're not necessarily completely leaving God. They're still very religious. They still come to church. They still hear sermons. They listen to podcasts. They seek wisdom from people. They study. But they pick and choose what they want to hear. And they don't want to hear Jeremiah's harsh message. And so Jeremiah, when you go to Jeremiah 7, you see people going to church to worship. And this is what God says in Jeremiah 7, 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Same message. Amend your ways and your deeds. Very same message that we just read in in chapter 18. Change your life, your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place that is a place of rest and fruitfulness, place of joy. Don't trust. And then this, this is what God says to his people. Don't trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. That was a mantra that the priests and the prophets, who are false priests and prophets, were assuring God's people, as long as you come to church every Sunday, as long as you pay tithes and offering. oh okay, yeah, please do come to church on Sunday. I'm not saying that
1: don't pay tithes and offering. No. As long as you do those religious stuff, you're safe. You're okay.
0: That's not true security. That's not true safety. They had the form of religion, but they didn't have the power of God with them to live a life that actually does good, does care for the poor, does do businesses, work, school, relationships in ways that will honor God. They were stealing, it says, murdering, committing adultery, telling lies full of idols in their lives. And then they say, come to church and say, we're saved. We're safe. When God sees that hypocrisy, the double life, God's warning them: It's no good. I'm warning you. You gotta turn. You gotta change your life. I mean, that message of repent and believe, repent and turn to God. I mean, it's Old Testament, New Testament. God sees right through their words, their confession, that basically amounted to it's meaningless. In fact, it's very similar to what Jesus warns in Matthew seven. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord. It's like temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. Jesus says, not everyone who who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, this is
1: what Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness.
0: You can be so religious, I can be, I mean, so religious and do religious things and fool myself, fool ourselves, thinking as long as I do all these things religious, I'm okay when we are not okay. Now, this is a warning to church people like me, especially religious leaders, because what's so troubling is that this false security was breathed and fed and fueled by spiritual leaders of the day, the false prophets and false priests. Look at verse, uh, chapter six, verse 13 to 14. This is what Jeremiah six, 13 to 14 says. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. You're putting just a Band-Aid solution. You're giving a Tylenol for people who are suffering from cancer and terminal illness. They need to go through heart surgery. They need to go through a long process of restoration, deep cleansing. But these... False prophets are giving false promise and hope saying, peace, peace. As long as you you kind of do all these religious stuff, you're okay. Maybe the intention was good. They want to give word of affirmation and comfort and hope. And again, don't get me wrong. I, as a pastor, I know a lot of you need that regularly because living in this world is very discouraging for Christians. I get that. I need that. But then, God's word, God's word of comfort comes to those who are afflicted, but God's word of affliction comes to those who are comfortable with false sense of security. What they needed then was not a word of affirmation. What they needed was confrontation against their sin because That's what they needed. That was the medication that they needed. But the false prophets were not giving that. They needed to hear, the people of God needed to hear, there's a consequence to your sinful life. Horrible consequences. So we need to hear this call to repent. Call to flee from the wrath of God.
1: The judgment of God of God. But again, people don't like those kind of messages. I have, I don't don't think
0: I have anymore, but I had fatty liver. um, And I didn't know, but uh, through blood tests I found out a few years ago, my doctor, and it, it it was my third time talking to my doctor. And this third time, my doctor called me and said, if you don't change your lifestyle by eating no red meat, healthy diet, fish, chicken, a lot of vegetables, and a lot of exercise, if you don't change your lifestyle, there will be serious consequences for your health. You'll be on medication. If you don't even listen to that, then it'd be like a very, very bad consequence for your physical health. My doctor didn't call me and say, Charles, it's all right. Enjoy life. Life is short. Just juicy steak is good. Yeah. Lots of rad meat for you. Continue on. Peace, peace. It's all good. It's all good. Well, if she did that, I would have to, I have to change the doctor. Yeah, a false doctor, right? You know, as a preacher, as a pastor, and as Christians, again, because we live in such a discouraging world, I also want to do a lot of affirmation. Again, don't get me wrong, I, I, I want to do that. I, and God does that here in, in, in this book. Fear not, for I'm with you. But there's a difference between true security in God and false security away from God. And this morning, some of us need to hear this hard message. And that's for your good. Jesus deals radically with sin because sin will eventually kill us.
1: The reason Jesus died on the cross was because of our sin. And if we truly believe, that's how
0: detrimental sin is to us, to the point where the Son of God was sent to die on the cross to pay for our sins. If we truly know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, we will learn grow to hate evil and i i come to recognize you know what that's that's work of the holy spirit because there's a change of heart that that grace of god must melt the hardness of our hearts the stubbornness it's the kindness of god that leads us to repentance brothers and sisters if God has been calling you in your area of life,
1: my beloved child,
0: this lifestyle that you're living, this is not good for you. I mean, throughout this, God doesn't just say, preach judgment here. God speaks word of encouragement, affirmation for sure. And then the warning he gives us, it's not, it's not just for me, it's, it's for you. There are certain lifestyles that just deters us from enjoying God and be the vessel that we are meant to be. Again,
1: Jesus very radical says if your hand or feet causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. If your eyes
0: causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better enter it into God's kingdom maimed blind with just one eye then with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire that, that's word of Jesus and the reason he says that is because he loves us so much if we live in sin and rebellion against God we will never be able to live in joy and happiness that God intends for his people so, application from this portion, this 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 is this is the big part of this, this responsive sovereignty of God. Our response matters. This object lesson number two is that, brothers and sisters, let's be attentive to God's word. Let's
1: respond to God's word without delay. Be swift to answer.
0: His command. If God is calling you, don't delay your obedience, your answer, because delayed obedience amounts to being disobedience. And if we live in disobedience for a long time, the hardness of your heart will get even harder. We are being shaped by
1: so many things other than the Word of God, like social media. We're so distracted. I'm preaching to myself more than anybody. I'm so distracted.
0: We are all distracted. We need a sacred, set-apart time to hear God's word so that we may be shaped by his word so that we can be a beautiful, useful vessel for God. And I know, brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's your desire. So I want to encourage you, be attentive to God's word.
1: Last is this. This is a short one. I'm done.
0: The first one, the last one is short. The, the main need was the second, the responsive sovereignty. The third one is the gracious sovereignty. Let's come back to the potter's house and see again what Jeremiah sees. Because the third lesson is that God is the potter who can who can remake ruined clays. Look at the, the, listen to or see, envision this vision that Jeremiah sees. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, and there this potter was working at his will. The vessel he was making of clay, it said, was spoiled. It's translated spoiled, but the original language, in other contexts, it basically means corrupted, ruined, or destroyed. So Israelites in exile reading this, when they come across this word, spoiled, corrupted, ruined, destroyed, it's giving them a heart of
1: sadness and regret. But then they read on. They're spoiled, in the potter's hand. And he reworks it into
0: another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do.
1: Some of you may be thinking, man, I've made so many bad choices in my life.
0: Whether I chose not to marry, I chose to marry, I chose to break up, I chose to continue in this relationship, to, I just chose this wrong school or wrong career, wrong, wrong, wrong choices. And you're thinking, my life
1: is hopeless. It's ruined. I'm just living day, day to day. Some of the Israelites are feeling that way.
0: And through this vision, God is giving them an object lesson that, you know what? God is a potter who can remake a destroyed, corrupted, ruined clay into another vessel that's good for you, for others, and ultimately for his glory. And if I think about my own life, and I'm thinking about our life as a church, isn't that the story of redemption in your personal life in our life as a church family, that I've made so many stupid decisions in my life, and yet somehow when we are held in God's hand, God remakes it, recrafts it, remolds it, and reshapes it so that ultimately we can carry in our jars of clay treasure
1: of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. So brothers and sisters, again, come with me and watch
0: the work that the potter is doing in that potter's house. He's working at his wheel. And he has a clay in his hand. And you are that clay. Some of you need to be reminded that in God's caring sovereignty, you can, you can take risks in faith, not recklessly, but in faith in God. Come out of this mode of life that pursues security and safety and comfort and convenience well Lord help us to do that some of you need to take the word of warning seriously you have to change your lifestyle you have to cut off some things you have to gouge out some things from your life because that is actually a way of freedom freedom Truth will set you free, not doing whatever you want to do. And if there's any one of us who's been feeling hopeless, what's the point? It's too late. God wants to encourage you this morning. My child, you're not, I'm never done with you. I am the sovereign one who loves you, cares for you, will craft you, into something even more beautiful than you had ever imagined. So let's reflect and pray a prayer response before we close together in prayer. we thank you that we can entrust our lives into your hands. We confess personally and as a church that you are the potter, we are the clay. Thank you that we are held in your hands. Thank you, Father, that you take out stones and lumps Stuff that needs to be taken out of the clay so that you can make beautiful, useful vessels for your glory. And Father, we thank you that even when we feel like we're so corrupt or we're so done, so ruined and marred, you say, no, I'm not done with you return to me my son my child and i will reshape you and mold you and i will be glorified through you you are our maker you are our designer you are our good master builder you are our potter so may the grace of our lord jesus christ love of god our father and fellowship of the Holy Spirit who continues to shape us, mold us, make us into the image of Christ, be with God's people now and forevermore. Amen.